Just a few announcements before we dive into these beautiful readings for Holy Trinity Sunday. Just a word of welcome, first of all, to, of course, for the family, for our first communicants. We have first communion here at the English Mass, and then the next Spanish Mass, we also have the same uh, joyful occasion. So welcome to all of the family and the guests, and how excited we are for our sons and daughters to receive our Lord for the first time. Good job. You worked hard all year. You've been great students. I hear great things from your teachers and your catechists. So what a great joy. All of your hard work has come down to this beautiful final moment as you receive the Lord for the first time. And just a word of, a, of a awareness. So when Holy Communion comes, as we normally do on Sundays, we're actually we're going to have for the first, for the first, uh, for the first time, uh, have the first communicants receive the Lord first. And then, as normal, the congregation. So we're going to have the, the kids come up one by one as they receive Holy Communion. And then, of course, as we normally do on Sunday. So just a, that little tweak in our normal procedure on Sundays. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I don't know if you're aware of this, but a lot of people think that Catholics are weird. And we're weird and bizarre. Your priests are celibate, your sisters are celibate. We, our, our, our boss, quote-unquote, is an old man in Rome across the world who wears a funny hat Dress is funny, too. They see us. We, when we worship on Sundays, our liturgies are structured. It's not like anything else that you see. You Catholics are weird. The, the claim goes. And something is happening in the middle of the United States which only reinforces that stereotype that Catholics are weird. In a little unknown town where tractors outnumber people, called Gower, Missouri, there's a monastery there. News is spreading all over the world because by last count, over 20,000 people are descending upon this little farming community. It could be, if proven and tested, a modern-day miracle. A couple weeks ago, they exhumed, they took out the body of a sister by the name of Wilhelmina Lancaster. She founded a new religious community a couple years ago called the Benedictine Sisters of Mary, Queen of the Apostles. And when they took out her body, she died four years ago, to move it into a special section of the church, they discovered something remarkable. That even though she had passed away over four years ago, and you can see the photos if you haven't already on the bulletin, her remains showed no signs of decay. No signs whatsoever. It was as if she just passed away yesterday. And so when news started to spread, Thousands upon thousands of weird Catholics from all over the world <laughs> descended upon that town. They said about 500 people would come in at an hour, filing in, filing in. Because if indeed proven to be a miracle, Sister Wilhelmina would fall actually in the line 
of 100 other what we call incorruptible saints. Now you might be thinking, wait, that's bizarre. Because the natural order says that when somebody passes away, we know what happens when nature takes its course. And that's what they expected to find when they opened up the tomb of Mother Wilhelmina. But if you think about it, with a Christian perspective, death itself is actually weird and bizarre. Do you realize that? Death, sickness, pain, old age, lower back pain, hip replacements, hair loss, all of that is actually unnatural and bizarre and weird. Beautifully in the readings today, as Moses in the first reading goes up Mount Sinai, on that famous encounter of Moses on that mountain, he reveals to humanity that God is one. For the first time in human history, this idea that there was only one God now enters into the human imagination. Prior to Moses, the typical view of the world was that there was a whole bunch of different gods. Think of the Egyptians, the pharaohs, the Romans, the Greeks, all, a plethora of different gods. I mean, if you go to Europe today, the remains of their magnificent temples are still there. You can, you can still look at it as tourists, take pictures and gawk at them. But when Moses arrives on the scene and God reveals himself, as we see here, he reveals that God is one. Which leads us now to another weird Christian doctrine. In the first reading today, it said that Jesus comes into the world that all might not perish but have eternal life. One of the weird things that makes us Christians stand out in the world is that we believe that God is a trinity. So follow this. So Moses reveals that God is one. Well, what does that oneness look like? Well, Jesus Christ now reveals, which makes it hard for many, many people, even our many contemporaries, to accept Jesus Christ. Because what Christ reveals to humanity is that God is one, absolutely, but he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And that, for many people, is weird. What are you talking about, you Christians? God is one, but in three? Tri, unitas, two Latin words meaning three in one? Yes. But what does that mean for us? Harking back all the way to Genesis. Here is the secret to human's existence right here. If any of us are hungry and thirsty or wonder what's the whole purpose of life, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the key. 
you and I are created in the imago dei, in the image and likeness of God. This God of, revealed to us through Moses and fulfilled in Jesus Christ shows us that this Trinitarian God of ours at its very core is a God of love. What do we mean by that? If you notice things, the nature about love, love by its very definition requires another. Does that make sense? Love in and of itself needs another, otherwise it's not love, because love is a self-gift to the beloved. So God the Father loves God the Son, Jesus. God, Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, loves the Father. And that love between Father and Son, that communion of love is the Holy Spirit. God is a relationship of love. And this perfect Holy Trinity, this oneness in threeness. I know it's bizarre, in the seminary we have one year to study the Holy Trinity. And I'm trying to cram it in in a 57-minute homily here, right? So... So if you're having a hard time with this, absolutely welcome to the club. Christianity has always wrestled with this idea and this beauty of the Holy Trinity. So this perfect Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing before the entire universe, out of a sheer act of goodness, decides to create the universe. He creates the cosmos, everything that we see. And then as part of his crowning creation, He creates us to share in the love of the Trinity. But in order for love to exist and to share in this love, he gave each and every single one of us free will. Because just as love needs another to exist, a beloved, love needs free will. Without free will, there cannot be love. Love cannot be forced by its very definition. And so he instilled within our first parents, Adam and Eve, the ability to choose. In order to choose the love of the Trinity. But what happened next? Oh, we know. Read the chapters of Genesis chapter 4 and 5 and we see what happened. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, took that free will, created the image and likeness of the Trinity, and they reject it. From that moment on, now enter pain, suffering, old age, cancer, disease, heart failure, hip replacements, lower back pain, all all of the ailments we all woke up with this morning. All of that enters in when our first parents misuse their free will. Death now enters in. It was never part of God's plan for us to die. We were never meant to pass away. Our bodies were never meant to be corrupted. Our bodies were never meant to decay. But as we see beautifully in the second reading today, God had a plan. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, Paul proclaims. You see, what happened next was that Jesus knows this. He understands that corruption of humanity is within our very bones. And so he comes into the world, takes on our frail, broken humanity upon his very body, and then our precious Lord will die on upon the cross. You see, the beauty of the cross, why as Catholics, you weird Catholics always put Jesus upon the crucifix. Why? Because it is here that our Lord now would pay the price of humanity's rebellion. He says, I will take your pain and your suffering and I will endure it for myself. And I will take your pain, I will redeem it and transform it. And not only that, and if that wasn't enough in and of itself, Jesus would give in the most holy Eucharist his very self. He will transform bread and wine into his very glorified body. That every time, my dear sons and daughters, now speaking to you who are about to receive our Lord, you will, when you receive Jesus Christ into your mouth, you will enter into the love of the most holy trinity. That relationship of love by which you were created from the very beginning, you will now enter into. For upon this very altar is not simply bread or wine, but has been transformed to Jesus Christ. And oh, my friends, this is weird. <laughs> you ask any Catholic or non-Catholic, say, you Catholics believe in Jesus upon the altar at every single Mass? Yes. It is not a symbol. Hear me again. The bread and the wine upon here is not a symbol. It is not a symbol. It is not a symbol. I know what other people say to us. No, we maintain the ancient teachings of 2,000 years. Christ, humbly present, who gives himself in total love. The love of the Trinity is before our very eyes. And if indeed, if Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster proves to be one of these miracles, it is a reminder that our bodies, we were created for this same love. And so my dear brothers and sisters, my sons and daughters here who are about to receive Holy Communion, oh, my heart is joyful for you. You're going to eat Jesus. <laughs> and if you think that's weird, good. <laughs>